Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. everyone to Jumping Bomb Audio, the show all about the world of Joshi Pro Wrestling. My name is Taylor, once again here with Kelly. Kelly, hello again. Howdy, everybody. I watched SummerSlam last night, and I'm upset about it. Oh, boy. Well, I'm currently in the midst of uh, going through a hurricane. Hurricane Henry is uh, swinging through my town, so it's it's a very rainy day here. Uh, I originally got a big emergency uh, notification on my phone, one of those that makes that terrible alarm sound no matter where you are. Those are the worst. Um, That was like, do not go anywhere or you will be killed um, (laughs) by this hurricane, even though it's been mostly sort of like light rain. Um, So I think it was a little bit over hyped. If you look um, in the sky like a turkey when it's <laughs> raining, you'll drown. Yes. But they were like, do not go anywhere. Do not attempt to leave your current area. Uh, and I was like, okay. I was like, I'm in my ha- I'm in my house and I will stay in my house uh, and just watch the rain out the window. But that is what <laughs> I am currently going through. I did not watch SummerSlam last night. And it sounds like uh, that was the correct decision. Yeah, it make. was a bad time. I saw on Twitter so, during the show that Missy Hyatt made a much better choice and watched the uh, DDT Peter Pan show instead, and I wish I was her. Yeah. Uh, well, Kelly, did you uh, did you tweet through SummerSlam? No, I reviewed SummerSlam over on the Voices of Wrestling, along with my good pal Garrett and and Wrestling Omakase's own John Carroll. Wow, a, a big crew there. Yeah. Uh, you you didn't tweet through that, but I did see you did tweet on our Twitter account. I did. Uh, through the Tokyo Joshi shows that we're about to cover. Yeah, you can go there and see some of my thoughts. I'm sure I'll probably say very close to the same things on here, but who knows? That was like a week ago. I don't remember what I said. Yeah, you can go to J Bomb Audio on Twitter. Or you can find us individually. I'm at Tay Mambo, and Kelly's at Comic Geek Kelly. So you can see all of his thoughts and all of our thoughts. Also, subscribe to this show. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating or give us a rating and give us a review. A, a nice review, please. Yeah. And uh, if you're feeling very generous, you can donate to the show at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping bomb audio so today we are going to speaking of those tokyo joshi shows we are going to cover both the august 14th and august 15th tokyo joshi korokin shows we are going to uh, touch on the stardom uh, five-star grand prix korokin hall show the surprise the only show they had in the last two weeks and we will talk about that we'll talk all about the standings and then we'll go into all the other Joshi shows 
that have been happening over the last two weeks and give you a preview of the upcoming two weeks. So the first thing, Tokyo Joshi had two Korokans. The first Korokan was on August 14th. As I said, a Korokan Hall, 437 people for the semifinals of the Tokyo Princess Cup. Uh, the first match of the night, Kaya Toribami and now Kakuda defeating Mihiro Kiryu and Yuki Aeno when Kakuda pinned Kiryu with the Shiden Kai. Uh, Kelly, what did you think of this match? Well, first, I want to say just how much I really enjoy the English commentary team right now with uh, Chris Brooks and Balianaki. They're so much fun, and I really, really enjoy them doing commentary on these uh, Tokyo Joshi shows. Uh, yeah, they they are. Uh, I thought they were excellent. I thought they clearly were enjoying themselves, having a good time, but were also uh, very knowledgeable about everything going on, especially Chris Brooks, uh, who knew a lot. So it was fun, but also uh, you learned a lot. Yeah. Brooks, Brooks, I've said for a little while now, is kind of like a low-key mvp of japanese wrestling almost right now where it's like he can do almost everything <laughs> where it's just like oh cool he can do commentary he can wrestle a good match he can have a great feud he can do cool protos shows like I'm, yeah, I'm glad to have is, him in japanese wrestling and he is really uh a lot of different places right now so clearly uh i think people in japan agree with you yeah but yeah, uh, this match was good. It was a solid opener. Um, who, um, Mahiro showed, I, they talked about in commentary, Mahiro showed a lot of fire in this match. That was cool. And Kaya Toribami, just again, cool as hell. One of my favorite rookies of the year so far. Yeah, although unfortunately, uh, we learned recently that uh, Kiryu is has, I believe, a neck issue. Um, they, I don't think they've said a whole lot about that, but I think she will be out for at least a little while while they get that checked out. Oh no! Uh, which you know, we hope that it's no big deal and she'll be back in a couple shows, but uh, we don't know. Uh, I also thought Toribami looked good, although I'm, you know, I think we're now at the point with Toribami where we've sort of seen the. You know, sort of a debuting rookie has the first couple matches where you're sort of watching, um, you're seeing things you haven't seen because they're a totally new person. I think now that we've seen sort of, we've gotten the picture of who she is, and I'm interested to see where sort of she goes from here in terms of growth. I think we're sort of now at the sort of step two of a career. The first one is you debut, you have those first couple matches, they're sort of the you know, excitement of, oh, this is a new person. What are they like? You know, what do they look like in the ring? What's their personality like? And now we're sort of at step two um, to seeing where she goes from here as, you know, now a more established uh, member of the roster, I'm sure, based on Tokyo Joshi's past, that we'll probably be seeing um, some new rookies before long and soon she will be the more, you know, she won't be the youngest or one of the youngest uh, members of the roster. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see her grow. Cause like right now she doesn't have much of a personality besides she's pretty smooth and ring and has a cool mask. Yeah. And that is, um, 
you know, that's part of we will see as she grows. Uh, I think when you're a rookie, sort of just getting in the ring, getting through the matches is sort of enough as, you know, just saying, well, you're very young and can you, you know, go out there and not, you know, have something fall apart, just be able to go out there, have the match. Um, And now as she grows, she will have also higher expectations on her in addition to the fact that she sort of debuted with these high expectations because of the sort of high flying athletic style that she has. So maybe she has a little bit higher of a bar than maybe the traditional rookie who debuts and is only sort of doing a very traditional rookie style of, you know, simple moves, you know, one or two moves, one, you know, finisher and things like that. So uh, that is something I am looking forward to because I think she has a, a lot of potential. I think most people would probably agree with me on that. Uh, but looking forward to see where she goes from here. Yeah, she definitely goes on the list of 25 rookies that are better than Dominic that I promised I would make in my uh, SummerSlam review. I have to say I'm very uh, proud of myself. I have never uh, seen a Dominic match. <laughs> and the Dominic the Dominic dialogue, as I'll call it, is is over my is over my head. I said uh, last I night f- he's really good if this is his first match, but like he's been doing this for a year now and he has not improved whatsoever. So it's like DDT and Tokyo Joshi alone have debuted like almost six rookies that are better than him in that span. <laughs> yeah. And Joshi usually I would say on the whole um, already, I think most Joshi rookies are, at the higher end in terms of rookie debuts are usually at the higher end of debuts as it is already. Yeah, for sure. So the second match of the show, Arisa Endu and Suzume defeated Mirai Mayumi and Moka Miyamoto when Suzume pinned Miyamoto with the ring a bell. This is a match I thought was excellent. I went in not with low expectations, but you know, the second match on the card, I thought, Oh, this will be a fun match. There's, you know, a group of wrestlers that I really enjoy, but they really impressed me with this match. I thought it was really good. I actually went four stars just because it really caught me by surprise how much I enjoyed this match. I thought Mocha looked really good, um, sort of with the karate punches and things like that. I thought she fit in really well. It was a really cool, uh, not clash of styles, but, you know, different styles with Mayumi's more power-based offense, Suzume sort of flying around uh, with the updated, she has updated gear now. So I just really dug this match. I thought it was really great and uh, and a ton of fun. Yeah, it was really good. It was, um, it kind of shows you a little bit of the rookie pecking order to have uh, Endo on the winning team as opposed to uh, Miyamoto, you know, on the losing team and taking the fall. And it was also kind of fun to see the, uh, oh, what's the tag, B-Star team go up against each other on opposite sides. That was fun. In the uh, third match, Hyper Masao, Nadoka Tenma, and Yuki Kamafuku defeated Aja Kong, Haruna Neko, and Raku when Kamafuku pinned Neko with the Famouser in 11 minutes and 42 seconds. I was very happy that Aja Kong originally was scheduled for just the second show, the show on August 15th, which we'll talk about in a second. 
glad that she was on the show as well. I thought that this was another really fun match. Uh, Asha Kong, I think, is super fun in Tokyo Joshi in general. I think that she brings a sort of fun uh, difference of style, sort of the more hard-hitting style, but also is able to sort of lean into the comedy, be funny, uh, especially with Hyper Masao in this match. You know, they gave her a cape at the beginning and then did the cold spray, uh, sort of jumped her with the cold spray. Um, but I thought this was a, a, another match that was uh, really fun. Asha Kong is kind of like your ideal legend veteran where she'll come in and not doesn't entirely have to take herself seriously. Like they did a bunch of fun stuff here can still deliver. Like that's, that's what you want out of a legend like that, where it's like, you know, you're not going to necessarily put them in the main event, but you know, just go out there, put people over. It's, it was great. I really enjoyed this. Uh, Misao continues to be more of a villain than a hero. I will say. Wow, that might be a controversial statement. She's a hero to all the people. I know she is, but uh, you know, they tricked Aja Kong. They were and they made a nice bin for her and then just hit her with it. Like what what are you doing? I am waiting to see when this very powerful team of Aja Kong and Raku explodes. They should go for uh, the tag titles. As uh, I know that Raku has, uh, there has been some talk about them having a match, but they could team and then, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I, w- I think that's a match that a lot of people want to see Aja Kong versus Raku, uh, which is hard to believe. Um, but I think that would be uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, the fourth match on the card, Neo Bashiki Goon. May San Michel, Saki Sama, and Yukio San Laurent defeated Antonio Honda, Palm Harajuku, and Rika Tatsumi when Saki Sama submitted Palm Harajuku with the Versailles foot choke. Um, as I've talked about on the show before, I am uh, not an expert when it comes to the names of moves. I got uh, these finishes from the Dramatic DDT blog, a great blog if you're not aware for both DDT, for DDT, Gabare, uh, Tokyo Joshi, a lot of things. So I got the Versailles foot choke from there. Uh, and that's a great name of a move. That's the first thing I'll say. But Kelly, what are your thoughts on this match? I loved this match. It, Neo Bishikigun is just the best. Uh, this match really was like, it taught us life lessons. Because, you know, it showed that while steroids are very cool and they're a lot of fun, they won't necessarily let you win the match. I mean, the Tonio Honda, Pom Harajuku, and Rika got all hyped up on roids or whatever that was that Yukio had, but they still couldn't pull out the win because they're not the team that Neo Bishikigun is. This... Actually, and this is really the big match that stood out to me, but this match felt to me a lot like a DDT sort of card in terms of its build, uh, in terms of its makeup of, you know, the types of matches and that you've got some of the sort of opening matches. You bring in someone like Aja Kong, someone from the outside in a match that's sort of interesting. And then this to me, this uh, new Bishiki Goon match, felt really to me like a DDT match that you would see on one of their Corican shows in terms of, I mean, obviously 
Antonio Honda is there, which is a big thing, but sort of the weird uh, stuff they were doing. It was very helpful <laughs> in this match to have the English commentary uh, with Aki translating what was going on. I liked Aki talking about, uh, you know, Honda was injected with the um, substance, whatever the substance was in that needle. And he got really excited and he started injecting it at other people. And Aki's sitting on commentary going, oh, the crowd is chanting for doping. The crowd is chanting for <laughs> doping. That and then when the Gone the Fox story came up and Aki was like, well, I won't translate uh, any of this because it might get us kicked out of here. Um, but yeah, just a fun match, a really great you know, I thought the match was good on its own, but a great sort of change of pace, especially right before we got to sort of the higher up matches on the card that are a little bit more serious. Um, and then after the match, Mason Michel asking or hoping that maybe the a former maid of Neo Bishikigun, Martha, might come back uh, to tag with her. And I think that would be exciting. It's very exciting to see these... Uh, members of Neo Bishiki Goon who we have not uh, seen in in quite a while. Uh, you know, Yukio Saint Laurent back here. I also liked um, during the match when uh, Honda got injured, quote unquote, that they were like, oh, they're looking for a doctor. They're looking for a doctor. And I think Chris Brooks just went, he's standing on the apron. <laughs> he's a doctor. Uh, the yelling in the uh, stethoscope. That was funny. Uh, oh, I have appendicitis or whatever he was saying. <laughs> he just yells in the stethoscope. Uh, so, yeah, overall, a really, you know, one of those matches, it's hard. I don't know that I gave it like a star rating because it's sort of hard to, you know, be like, oh, great. You know, yeah, it's a four star comedy match. But really one I thought that was really great. Um, one of my favorites on this show uh, and one worth watching uh, from yep. the show. This is like a prime match for them to put on YouTube because, you know, they'll they'll put up the occasional match up there like this is perfect where you can just send it so and be like, hey, look, this is what Tokyo Joshi and DDT offer this kind of fun. Yeah, and especially with the if, you know, including that English commentary to have yeah. someone come in and be able to because, you know, a lot of times in DDT, you know, I really like DDT, but you watch a sort of match like this that has a lot going on without English commentary. And some of it is funny because I think, you know, someone like Honda is naturally funny and that sort of transcends exactly what he's saying, but it is super helpful to be like, here's exactly what's going on. Cause sometimes you can watch those matches and be like, Oh, this is funny, but I don't really understand what's happening <laughs> with people, especially with this. People are having needles. People are injecting each other. <laughs> with the needles and things like that. So yeah, yeah, this would be an excellent choice for uh, going up, going up on YouTube. Uh, the next match was the Yuka Sakazaki AEW return match. Yuka coming back from her uh, brief trip to AEW. Uh, Yuka and Hikari Noah ended up the winners defeating Marika Kobashi and Miyu Yamashita in 11 minutes and 56 seconds when Sakazaki pinned Kobashi with the magical merry-go-round. 
this is one of the matches where I didn't think this match was bad, but I feel like sometimes there are these sort of matches on Tokyo Joshi shows where they're sort of close to the top, but they're not a main event. They're not a title match that have good people in it. You know, Noah, Sakazaki, you know, all four of them, obviously Yamashita, Kobashi, they're all good. And I was really looking forward to this match, but this sort of feels to me like a spot on these Tokyo Joshi shows that is always very hard for them to sort of figure out the match structure where I get excited for these matches. I'm like, wow, it's four really great people. They're in a tag match. It should be really good. And I think because they're not in the main event, they sort of say, well, we shouldn't go all out. And I leave a lot of these matches feeling like it wasn't bad, but I don't really feel all that strongly about it. It certainly didn't meet my expectations, which were, you know, not super high, but high. And it feels like this has sort of become a consistent pattern on these Corricans where the sort of last non-major match on the show is one that I'm like, oh, they include some great wrestlers. I'm like, oh, this will be really great. And it never quite lives up to what I think it will in my head. Yeah, it's weird. You could just cut this match out of the show, and I don't think my enjoyment level of the show as a whole would have gone up or down at all. It was like it was fine. It was a fine match, but it was kind of just a non-entity. Like I honestly don't remember like anything about it. Like I know I saw it, but I couldn't tell you anything else about it. Yeah, and I don't know. We'll see going forward. I don't know if it's maybe. Uh, it could just be a sort of quote unquote in-house decision to say, well, don't go out there and go crazy because, you know, we have, you know, two main events. I mean, two sort of main events here with the Tokyo princess cup where you don't want to overshadow. And I think with these four, you probably could go out and have a match that overshadows it, but I think they don't want to do that. But I think that sometimes maybe doing that, you say, well, the match ended up really being sort of nothing. And you've used, you know, you have four people who are pretty talented that have then just sort of gone out and it's like, Meh, it's fine. Yeah. It's not, yeah, the, it it's not the end of the world. It's not an end of the world thing that they do, but just the strain. It's sort of a pattern that I've seen from the last, you know, now they're having much more frequent Cork and Hall shows and it seems to be a recurring theme on these shows. Yeah, it just didn't add anything. Like, I think you could separate these four out and put them in different undercard matches, and then you might get more just fun exchanges between wrestlers you wouldn't normally see, and that would be something. But yeah, I don't know. This It didn't work for me. It was just... It was there. It, it happened, and I'll never think about it again, I guess, is the way to put it. <laughs> Well, speaking of the bigger matches on this card, the first of the two biggest matches on this card, the Tokyo Princess Cup 2021 semifinal match number one, Shoko Nakajima defeating Miyu Watanabe in 12 minutes and 27 seconds with the Locomotion Northern Lights Suplex. Kelly, what did you think of the first of two uh, Princess Cup semifinal matches. 
I really like this. I like that there was just a nice, simple, clear story of uh, Nakajima's just being a veteran against uh, Watanabe's strength. It was a fun match. I thought they were really good. Um, and it was kind of clear that Nakajima was going to win, but there was still a couple times where Watanabe made me think she was going to pull it out. I thought Watanabe looked really, really great in this match. I actually thought she maybe, I don't know if the match itself uh, was better, but I thought she looked better than she did in her title challenge against uh, Rika Tatsumi from earlier in the year. Yeah, I, I think this that, was her like best singles performance. Yeah, I would definitely agree. She looked really great. Her offense looked really great. She seemed very confident in what she was doing. And it just seemed like, um, you know, she seemed like, oh, this is a wrestler with some, you know, sort of power behind her really looked like a strong wrestler, even in losing. There was a yeah. lot of things where I was like, whoa, she looks really great. Um, the finish definitely caught me by surprise at only 12, you know, under 12 and a half minutes. Um, I was like, oh, that was a quick match, um, which to me didn't hurt the match. I think they probably could have gone longer and maybe it would have, you know, got a bit better. I went three and three quarters on this match. Same. So I thought it was a, a solid, uh, very good outing. I totally understand why, you know, you wouldn't want Watanabe going all the way to the finals and then losing. So she loses here to a sort of more established, as I mentioned on commentary a couple times, you know, Shoko Nakajima now has been to five of the eight uh, finals of the Tokyo Princess Cups, because this is the eighth Tokyo Princess Cup, which I thought was an interesting stat, but it also sort of gives me that sort of out with saying, well, this is someone who's very talented, who has been to these finals before, um, so overall, I thought it was a very strong, a great, a great quote unquote semifinal match for for this card. Yeah, yeah, it really like Nakajima is kind of just their their go to girl. Where it's like, okay, we need someone to put in the big spot. Uh, Nakajima, you go, like, and it, she delivers each time. So it's a smart move to have someone like that in your roster. And then the main event. Of this first Korokin Hall show, Maki Ito against Mizuki. Maki Ito defeating Mizuki in 18 minutes and 39 seconds when Ito defeat Ito submitted Mizuki with the Ito Deluxe. Um, a match that I thought was very, very good. Um, I went four and a quarter stars on it. Um, it's funny because this and the, the next main event for the next show that we'll talk about, I thought that they were both very strong matches, but I connected more strongly sort of with the emotion of the match rather than the, you know, just straight in-ring work. I thought the in-ring work was very good. It isn't that I thought the in-ring work was bad, but I found that when the match ended, I was much more invested sort of in the um, emotion of the match, sort of the backstory, you know, with the Ito Respect Army past of this match. Um, then I was sort of in, with a straight sort of, oh, near, you know, how many near falls were there? How many, you know, big moves were there? But overall, an excellent uh, match, an excellent end to the first show, and really a great 
um, I guess I would say propellant for someone watching to say, oh, I would be interested to see tomorrow what happens with this final match. Yeah, and I think uh, that just speaks to Maki Ito's strengths as a wrestler. Like, she's she's improved leaps and bounds in ring, but she's still just at her best as, like, a character and doing that kind of stuff. So it makes sense that the emotional aspect is what grabbed you with this one. Uh, I loved this match. I thought it was great. Uh, I ended up going four and a half stars on it. Uh, I really think this should have been the finals. Like, if you could have just restructured the bracket to put them on the opposite sides, I think that would have been much better. Uh, The selling of Maki Ito of her busted cheekbone. Like, I thought for sure she was actually hurt. And, like, the the commentary team helped sell that too. Like they sounded like really concerned that she was hurt after she got hit. Like, I think it was pretty early on in the match and then rolled to the outside and kind of just sat there and held her face. Like it was very realistic selling. I loved it. This is, this might be my favorite Maki Ito performance. Like she was awesome here. Yeah. Two, uh, a very strong Ito performance. I also remember that when she rolled out because I am not even sure. I mean, I didn't really look into it all that closely. I know that it was an injury. She said she would be back, but I don't actually know how much that is still affecting her in real life. I don't know, you know, how that injury heals. Um, if it still hurts after two weeks or if it's something where you're just trying to you know, avoid re-aggravating it. But yeah, I thought it was an excellent job and sort of gave the little, you know, you don't want to see any wrestlers get injured, but, you know, it's a great job to use this injury to really increase the the drama of the match. Yeah, and Mizuki was just so mean here. It was perfect, just going right after it. So before we move on to the second of the two Tokyo Joshi Korokan Hall shows, we want to say first, this week's episode of the podcast is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh is great. The fall is getting busy. People are going back you know, to their jobs. Work from home is ending. HelloFresh is perfect for people like this. HelloFresh recipes will save you time instead of meal planning, shopping, and chopping so you can get back to what's important have time for all the things that are happening uh, as the world uh, gets back. And And like, what's better than opening your door, seeing a package and going, oh, hello, Fresh. That's that's exactly right. I bet that's why it's called that. Yeah, uh, I bet you're right. And HelloFresh offers 50 menu items to choose from, vegetarian meals, calorie smart, gourmet options. So there is something for everyone. I love HelloFresh. I'm someone who I don't like all that much going to the grocery store for recipes. You end up getting a lot of stuff. 
you know, you need a whole pound of, you know, you need one cup of flour, but guess what? At the grocery store, they only sell one pound of flour. And so then you've got a lot of flour sitting around uh, your house. HelloFresh makes it easy with proportioned out ingredients for all the recipes. So it is perfect for someone like me who really likes to have just what they need, save the space in my apartment for other things. So to get HelloFresh, go to hellofresh.com slash V-O-W-14 and use the code V-O-W-14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. That's right. That is hellofresh.com slash V-O-W-14 and use code V-O-W-14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. So hop on this deal today. So the second of the two Tokyo Joshi shows back at Korokin Hall on August 15th, 567 people. So a little bit more than their first show. And the first match was a singles match between Miyu Yamashita and Moka Miyamoto. Uh, Yamashita defeating Miyamoto in 6 minutes and 27 seconds with an attitude adjustment. Kelly, what did you think of this match? I was kind of disappointed by this. I thought Miyamoto looked really out of her depth. And I don't, I don't, in all honesty, I don't know who to put that on, either Mocha or Miyu. Because they're... There was a bunch of times where it just felt like things weren't connecting or like there was just a lot of room in between shots and stuff. Like, I I don't know. It was kind of disappointing. I thought these two would uh, mesh better. Yeah, I was also sort of this we're very much on the same page with these with these shows. <laughs> I also was a little bit disappointed because as I talked about on the first show, Miyamoto was part of that um, sort of opening tag match, which I really loved. And I thought that she had looked really good. And I thought, oh, maybe this is sort of a turning of the, you know, a turning of the corner in terms of, you know, finally, you know, being comfortable, being more comfortable in the ring, sort of knowing what you're all about uh, in terms of style. And I thought that this was sort of a step back from that sort of closer to how I had perceived her coming into these two shows is sort of a interesting uh, lower card wrestler in this company. I was not all that blown away by this. And so I also sort of my reaction was eh, a bit of the disappointment because I was hoping that Mocha would be able to follow up the tag match with a strong singles match opportunity against, you know, one of the better wrestlers in the company. But unfortunately that uh, didn't happen. Yeah, I wonder if like butterflies played a role in this, just like being nervous about facing the champion. Yeah, and also I think that, you know, it is nice to think that, oh, these wrestlers will, you know, they'll be better, they'll get better, and every match they'll get better, better, better. But sometimes, you know, it doesn't happen. Sometimes you have, you know, maybe one match, you have one week or something where you really connect, you're doing well, and then you know, you might have a match that's not as good, but I think that's also part of the 
you know, learning process of becoming a better wrestler. It's not just a straight line from sort of, oh, you're an inexperienced rookie to, you know, you're a huge major star. You can get better and then maybe it doesn't stick. And then, you know, she could come out next week and have a a string of really great matches. Um, Yeah. And it's also worth remembering that, like, for decades, we didn't see matches like this, where it was just like, this was all in untaped shows. But now that we see everything, you see everything. So it's like, if someone has a bad match, it's going to be there. And, you know, it wasn't always the case where it's like, okay, we don't see the, okay, now they're, they're a new wrestler. Now they're here. Now they're polished where we see the whole ride there. So it's like, okay, I, you got to give people slack every now and then where it's like, you're going to have a bad match, but that's just because we watch everything. (laughs) Yeah. And I also think with Tokyo Joshi that it is, you know, and we have talked about this on the show in the past, but, and I didn't really bring it up here, but we've talked about sort of all year with these um, added Corkins, you know, more Corkins and they've been running in the past that sort of the in-ring um, talent has really picked up and sort of the baseline of this promotion is much, much higher than it was I would say even maybe a year ago, certainly two years ago, three years ago. Yeah, for sure. And that it it really is become it really is becoming a very different company. I remember I was watching to go back briefly to the first show. I mean, it was a show where I was like, this show is really good. And part of me isn't really all that surprised anymore to say, oh, this is a great show. Because they've been delivering, I mean Really, they have not had a Corican to me that I look back on, at least thinking sort of off the top of my head this year, where I think, oh, yeah, that Corican was not good. That Corican was sort of bad. And they've sort of moved into this period with the Corican Hall shows where they are not, you know, they started the year putting all these title matches on these Corican Hall shows to fill them up. Now they're not even doing that. And it still feels like they haven't really lost the step. It would be easy to say, oh, well, this is a, these were two shows with no title matches. Now you have the, you know, Tokyo Princess Cup, which is sort of a substitution. But the idea a year ago that you could say Tokyo Joshi is going to run two Corican Hall shows back to back on two consecutive days with no title matches. And they're going to be solid shows. I think that the first show, the 814 show, uh, is slightly better in my mind than this show. But I think that they were both really solid shows. Yeah, no, it's that you pretty much, if you're getting a Tokyo Joshi Kirk and you know you're in for a good time. But that sort of just goes back to this match that the standards, I think in the past, if this was, if this opening match had happened two years ago, you would sort of say, oh, okay, this is, you know, This is a Tokyo Joshi undercard match, and that's fine. The standards have gotten very high, and I've wondered in the past, you know, there are some people that I wonder, will they be able to rise up and meet that standard and be able to move to that next level in the way that someone like Yuki Kamafuku has, like Hikari Noah has? Or is there going to sort of be, there may be this undercard of wrestlers who are going to be undercard wrestlers like that is their future 
you know, obviously you hope every wrestler, or at least I do, I hope every wrestler I watch eventually becomes the greatest wrestler I've ever seen, because that would be great for me yeah. as someone who watches a lot of wrestling. But don't know. We're in sort of uncharted territory uh, with all this stuff. Everyone is going to main event WrestleMania. Yeah. <laughs> with Roman Reigns. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just slot a different person in. Yes. Yeah. As we all know, Hyper Masao one day will main event uh, WrestleMania with Roman Reigns. Uh, speaking of Hyper Masao, she was in the second match on this card, uh, facing off against the Bakuratsu sisters, uh, Nadoka Tenma and Yuki Aino. Uh, it, they were, Hyper Masao was defeated by the Bakuratsu sisters, teaming with Kaya Toribami after Aino pinned Toribami with the Venus DDT. Boy, that was a, that was a bad, uh, thing that I just did. Uh, I was like, wow, this will be really slick. And it turned out I just made it worse. Um, so I will say this is, I I have a, I have a little story, um, which was, I was watching this match. I was incredibly distracted, not by anything in the match, but, uh, I live in an apartment and I have a buzzer for the front door of the building. Um, Kelly has heard the buzzer. I have um, (laughs) on one of these shows that I had to edit out, but uh, the day I was watching the show, my buzzer started going off and did not stop buzzing oh, no. <laughs> for three hours. Oh God. And this was the first match, uh, during which the buzzer was going off. <laughs> so I was incredibly distracted by that and really did not. Uh, do not remember much from this match, except that I kept thinking to myself, don't be distracted by the buzzer. <laughs> and therefore, I was very distracted by the buzzer uh, yeah. and didn't see anything. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of probably my thoughts on this match would be covered by the first matches that these four had on the first show. Uh, you know, with the thoughts on Toribami and things like that. But this sort of a standard opening uh tokyo joshi korokin style match yeah i would say i really hope they keep toribami and misao together i think that's an interesting team especially kind of with the hero aesthetic and the masked sidekick thing that i think that would be cool and it would help toribami grow as a wrestler too so like that i think that's a really good team and i hope they stick with it uh as far I also don't remember much of this show, to be honest, because I watched it sandwiched in between the last two of the uh, Evangelion movies that dropped on Netflix, on uh, Amazon Prime. So I had anime brain while I was watching this. What anime anime brain? I have never heard anime. Is that a, a diagnosed uh, condition? No, but I think. It's it, it's like it comes with Evangelion just being a head trip and you're not entirely sure what's going on, but you want to watch the cool robots hit each other and also feel depressed. So it, the entire time I was watching this show, I was like, man, I wonder what's going to happen in that last movie. Is everything going to be OK? The robots going to hit each other more. And they did. They did hit each other more. But the, so that meant there's a lot of this show I just do not recall. Well, let's see if you recall the next 
match. Uh, B-Star back together, teaming again, Mirai Mayumi and Suzume, and joining with Miyu Watanabe, defeating Harunu Neko, Mahiro Kiryu, and Yuki Kamafuku after Watanabe pinned Neko with the teardrop. Um, I don't know, maybe this is the match where uh, Kiryu was got that neck injury, whatever that injury is. Maybe, yeah. Um, you know, Neko is someone, as I just mentioned, who sort of goes in that category of, and I think I've probably said this on the show before, goes in the category of, I think, is probably a lifelong uh, low Carter opening match wrestler, unfortunately. Um, you know, it's always possible that someone like that may challenge for you know, a title, tag title, lower title. Um, But yeah, I think also they've done a really good job. I was talking about back when uh, Yuki Kamafuku lost her title, you know, in terms of keeping her strong, you know, was on the losing side of this match. But I think that she's still been, even though she's not in the title picture currently, I think that they've still been able to sort of keep the not the focus on her, but they've been able to still sort of present her as a strong member of the roster, which I'm glad to see because I was concerned that some of these people would sort of cycle up the card and then all of a sudden sort of fall off and disappear once they didn't hold a title or was, were challenging for a title. So I'm happy to say that, at least in my eyes, she still seems to be being presented quite strongly. The one thing I'll say about this match isn't about the match at all. It's about Miyu Watanabe. I've been thinking a lot about her lately. And when she walks to the ring, it always makes me laugh because it looks like she's throwing up gang signs. And I was thinking, okay, it's time for Kelly's fantasy booking. So I had my hot take about Hikari Noah and her death matches, right? Okay, so let's say she's like, hey, I want to do a tag team death match. I'm going to team up with Jun Kasai. And then she challenges Miyu Watanabe to get someone to tag with her. Out comes MDK all fucking day, Nick Gage, to team with Miyu Watanabe. Up Up Girls explode, literally, in some kind of explosion death match, because, like, Onita's there too, obviously. Let's book it. I'm trying to think what Nick Gage would look like in Tokyo Joshi (laughs) after the Gone the Fox story was deemed too uh, racy. (laughs) <laughs> to describe on English commentary. <laughs> uh, that would be an interesting, that would also be an interesting call to Nick Gage to say, do you want to come to Japan to work for <laughs> this, uh, this promotion? We're going to open the show with an idol performance. Yeah. I've, and and then one of those idols is going to be your tag partner and she's going to look mildly alarmed at everything you do. <laughs> Uh, the next match on this show, Neo Bishiki Goon, just the tag team, Mesa Michelle and Saki Sama, defeating Arisa Endo and Hikari Noah in 11 minutes and two seconds when Mesa Michelle submitted Endo with the uh, appropriately named Sam Michelle. <laughs> um, is the name of the move. This is one where I guess this is less of a thought about this match, but I think that this show um, was slightly lower than the first one in my mind because it really didn't feel to me like 
there were really, until the main event, it didn't really feel like there were all that many stakes anywhere else on the card. This sort of match felt like something where maybe Hikari Noah sneaks in a, you know, a roll up and they win and then they get a title shot, a tag title shot. I thought, oh, maybe that's the direction they're going in, but it didn't look like they did for this, you know, for this match, it seems like, oh, maybe that's the storyline part of this is that we get sort of the next challengers out of this and we didn't. And I think part of that was out of Tokyo Joshi's control with Yuki Arai, um, being taken off these cards because of the positive COVID tests in uh, SKE 48. Cause I think having those trial series matches on the undercard, certainly on the undercard of this show and also on the undercard of the first, first show would have really helped to give, to give another match that had higher stakes than just sort of go out there and have a fun match and, you know, entertain. So I think that that, it was really brought up in my mind because I think even either Chris Brooks or Balianaki said on commentary during the match, Oh, maybe they'll win and they'll get a tag title shot. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, Oh, that's sort of strange. It almost seems like they're going the opposite way where I think they may have kind of set up Saki Sama for a title challenge against Noah for the uh, international princess belt. Oh yeah, that's a good. I didn't even think about. Uh, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, that could be a, a match they're building to. I mean, it isn't entirely surprising with Endo on the team that they didn't win and get the shot. Although I don't really have a strong, as you said in the first show, Endo was on the winning side on her team with Suzume. So it's interesting to me that I'm like I don't really know exactly where she's positioned, how quickly she's going to be moved up the card, you know, with the number of rookies that it's her, that it's Torabami, Arai, you know, how fast will these people move up the card, especially considering I think they're probably three of the better rookies that Tokyo Joshi has ever had. Do they move up the card faster than maybe some of the rookies have in the past? Yeah, I think they will, but obviously they're still not there yet. I mean... They're still just a year in, not even at this point. So I'm not super surprised that they aren't like putting them in title matches yet, but I think they'll get there sooner rather than later. Ooh, the, <laughs> the <laughs> I just, for some reason, hit my computer. Uh, no problems over here. Everything's going very well. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that was. Um, anyway... The, uh, I'm sorry, I guess apologies for everyone for the loud bang I just sent into everyone. <laughs> that's to make that's sure a... that you're really paying attention to what Kelly and I are saying about yeah, these that's matches. Taylor just slapping each and every one of you. <laughs> hey, pay attention. We're, we're, we're giving you great opinions and thoughts here. Yeah. Um, but anyway, speaking of slaps, speaking of slapping people to attention, uh, the semi-main of this show was the Magical Sugar Rabbits, Mizuki and Yuka Sakazaki, teaming with now Kakuda and Palm Harajuku to defeat Aja Kong, Marika Kobashi, Raku, and Rita, Rika Tatsumi when Mizuki pinned Raku with the cutie special. This one, I sort of have the same thoughts um, about this one that I did about 
the first Aja Kong match, I thought it was a lot of fun. I really liked that they got a lot of people in with her, you know, an eight person tag on this day. So get seven other people in, get to see a lot of really fun interactions, sort of play off the difference of styles, um, the difference of size with a lot of these wrestlers. So I thought this was another really fun match, a really strong semifinal match for me. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Uh, like I said before, Aja Kong comes in, she looks good and doesn't really seemingly have a problem with losing. And then the big match of this show, the main event, the Tokyo Princess Cup 2021 finals in 23 minutes and 21 seconds. Maki Ito defeating Shoko Nakajima with submitting her with the Ito Deluxe to become the Tokyo Princess Cup 2021 winner. This was a match I felt very similar to the match from the first day. Um, this was a match I saw a little bit later, um, and I had seen a lot of hype for this match. I didn't know who won. I didn't know the finish, but I'd seen, oh, it's really great. And I thought it was another strong match. I don't know that it reached the heights that maybe other people had it. I had it as another four and a quarter star match. I thought it was very strong. And another match that I think was defined to me by the emotion by the story more than the in-ring action, you know, commentary put over the fact that Maki Ito not doing the who is the cutest in the world strikes in the corner and that she is now going by new era charisma. We've, or I've talked a lot about on this show about what sort of the plan is with Maki Ito who seems to rise up. She gets the title challenge uh, and doesn't succeed. That's sort of been her character for the longest time is sort of this, you know, lovable, in a way, lovable loser. Um, but maybe this is finally them turning the corner. I thought this this was a great, you know, sort of two-day story with her, sort of redefining who she is. She had the defiant middle finger at near the end of this match, which usually signals she's about to lose. Um, but in this one, she fought back and won. So I thought that that was a really cool sort of story twist to it. So used to seeing her give the middle finger and then get pinned or get submitted. So really happy to see her win and looking forward to her match against Miyu Yamashita, which I believe is October 9th um, in Oda Ward Gymnasium. So that should be a big match that I am really looking forward to. But this was a great match and a great cap to what I thought were two pretty strong days um, and a big feather in the cap of Tokyo Joshi to be able to run two back-to-back cork and all shows. Yeah, I I thought this was good, but I'm thinking I might be the low man on it. I just went three and a half on it. I, it seemed really long to me. And like I don't I think that might just be a me thing more than the match was bad or anything. I thought the work was fine. It just never really clicked with me. Uh my main takeaway of it was the at the very end, the Ito Deluxe that Makito had and just looked like it hurt a whole lot. And it just she really sunk that one in. It looked great. But yeah, I was I was happy to see uh, Maki finally get the big win. Like that was really nice, and I'm super excited for the Yamashita match. 
in the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to, to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash VOW net. Arenaclub.com slash VOW net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. So, yeah, too strong, Kelly. I think that, you, as you said, you thought the first show was better than the second one, but I think two pretty strong uh, showings for yeah, Tokyo Joshi. Definitely. And, and continues their string of uh, very strong Corkins. You know, they really stepped up. And it, it was a question for me about, you know, with so many more Corkin shows for them, how they would be able to deliver. And as I said, they've had, at the very least, every Corkin for me has been solid at the, at the worst, mm-hmm. um, which is great for them. Um, also at Corican Hall, uh, two days before, Stardom had a show at Corican Hall on the 13th in front of 713 people. This was a big five-star Grand Prix show. Um, it was originally scheduled to be the first in a long string of five-star Grand Prix shows, as we talked about on the last episode, unfortunately, due to some COVID uh, issues, this turned out to be 
Stardom's only show of, of the past two weeks, uh, or uh, of the past week, I should say, um, because a lot of shows were canceled. We'll talk more about that as we come to the upcoming show. Um, I will run down the results quickly, and then we're going to give just more general thoughts. Um, Mina Shirakawa defeated Hanan, Lady C, and Shiri in 4 minutes and 32 seconds in the opener. The Queen's Quest team of Azumi, Hina, and Utami defeated the Oedo Tai team of Rina, Ruaka, and Saki Kashima. There was a Future of Stardom title match on the show, Unagi Saika defeating Mai Sakurai, the newest member of the Stardom roster. And afterwards, Sakurai was invited into Cosmic Angels. That's a story to look out for as uh, Unagi Saika did not seem all that pleased to have her be joining. In the Grand Prix matches, uh, Starlight Kid defeating Fukigen Death, Saya Kamatani defeating Konami, Tom Nakino defeating Mika, and Mayu Iwatani defeating Natsupoi, and in the main event, Julia defeating Koguma in 14 minutes and 31 seconds. Kelly, what were your overall thoughts on this show? I thought this show was kind of just okay. Like, nothing was particularly bad. There was a lot of, like, three and a quarter, three and a half matches, but nothing that was really next level for me. Uh, The main event, I thought for a good chunk of it, was not very good. Uh... Really didn't pick up for me until Julia busted Koguma and the Moosh and the Mush. Why did I say Moosh? Because I want the the U from Koguma and then yeah. So we're gonna start calling it Moosh from now on. Uh, so she busted in their Moosh and then start. They both kind of started working stiff from there and then it got good. But I don't see Koguma as like a main event caliber worker at all. Like I I went three and a half on this. I thought it was good, but didn't feel like a main event to me. Yeah, there were a lot of matches on the show that sort of happened and then they ended and I thought, oh, okay, I don't really feel all that strongly about them. I mean, most of them were fairly short. Uh, Sayakamatani and Konami went 11.05 and that was um, until the main event, one of two of the matches that even went over 10 minutes, you know, five minutes, seven minutes. Um so yeah, just a sort of a fine show for me. I do have to say the uh, future of stardom title match between Sayaka and May Sakura, I thought was terrible. Yeah. Um, I thought it was very bad and I thought it was, you know, it's a future of stardom title. I totally get that. Um, it wasn't in any sort of prominent position on this card as you know, you had a number of these Grand Prix matches ahead of it. But I just thought it just was not a great look for the company to sort of bring in another hyped person. You know, debuted at the last Corican show, coming out saying, oh, I want to, you know, wrestle here, sort of getting hype. And then turned out that I just thought even the basics of this match were not great. You know, running the ropes was an issue. Strikes didn't look good. A lot of it was on Sakurai, who I thought was not good. Uh, but Sayaka didn't come out of it totally in the clear either. 
as we've already talked about, we talked about it on the last episode. She is not an elite in-ring worker, which is fine, but in the ring with someone who is clearly has only, I think about 20 or so matches under her belt, really needed someone to guide her. And Sayaka was not that person to do it. Sayaka had some strikes that did not look good. They had a spot in the corner with sort of shoulder blocks, uh, sort of shoulder blocks to the stomach, you know, Saika shoulder, uh, shoulder into Sakurai that just looked cheesy, corny as Saika sort of pounded the mat with her foot. Um, just a match where, again, I understand it's a future of stardom title. It's not a major title. It's not a big match. I, you know, the thing is not, oh, these are the best two workers in the company, but I thought it was far below the the standards of what a good stardom match would be. And I am sort of shocked that they brought it out. And I'm also sort of disappointed to see them continuously bring in these people who I would say are below the standards of what I would consider a good stardom wrestler. Now, look, if you're developing rookies and the rookies come out and they're not good and they're in the opening match, you know, that can happen. But that to me is a different story. You're saying, oh, this is just a rookie. They're coming out. You know, Sakurai was someone who came out at the show and said, I want to wrestle here and is getting the hype of, oh, someone's coming in, someone new coming in. And to say, oh, this person new coming in is not good is to me very shocking and something where you would have to look, you know, you have to look at stardom and say, this match was not good. Why was she brought it? Like, what is the appeal here? If I go to a show and I'm a fan and it's like, I just watched a show of someone who came in and this is the person you brought in and she can barely even sometimes run the ropes. Like it felt like a dark match. Like this, this shouldn't, shouldn't have been televised. It felt like a match where, uh, you know, and she sort of is, because as I said, she has, I think, only about 20 matches under her belt. But then if that's the case, bring her in and say, okay, she's going to just be someone who starts from the bottom. I mean, it's also very concerning to me that the only rookie in recent memory that they brought out is Lady C. And it seems like they've sort of replaced this rookie system with just bringing in these sort of lower card people, which I'm not crazy about either. It seems like they've just kind of given up on make getting their own rookies and are just going to find and poach rookies from other companies at this point. So, you know, who knows, but certainly not a good, an auspicious debut for Sakurai. I certainly hope she gets better. Um, As I said, I hope every wrestler I see is Uh, the best wrestler I've ever seen, but not a great feeling to watch this. You know, we sort of went through it with Sayaka who came in and was not very good, although was better, I think, than Sakurai to begin with. Yeah, Um, I'd I'd agree for sure. I think Sayaka looked a lot more polished than Sakurai here. Yeah, and I just don't know how interested I am in watching a company that just brings in sort of these lower level talents and then is like, okay, they'll sort of work it out as they get a push. Which it's very crazy about attitude era. Just get hot chicks feeling to me. (laughs) Yeah. And that's all. That's always something with stardom that is sort of in the back of your mind that obviously the in-ring standard is very high. They have a number of excellent workers, um, but that's always sort of a concern that, 
you know, the people who are making the decisions are at some times maybe more concerned with the looks of the wrestlers than the sort of the talent of the wrestlers. Yeah. Ooh, this reminds me. I finally figured out what the Cosmic Angels logo reminds me of. It feels like it should belong in like a sitcom where they go to a theme park and then there's like a space themed restaurant in that theme park. So like this would be in the fake sitcom version of like the Dis- the Star Wars park at Disney and you would go eat at Cosmic Angels. Yeah, I I definitely I can see that. Um yeah, it is a very sort of strange. It is out of style with sort of the other logos in in the uh company. But I think that's sort of, you know, I think that's sort of interesting to have, you know, a different feel to the logo as opposed to sort of one house style. Mm-hmm. Um, but you the, know who the... probably needed this time off more than anyone? Uh, I would say Micah, because she is reaching Ishii in the G1 levels of being taped up. Like her back is looking real taped up. Her knee has got a lot of tape on it. Like I'm sure she's appreciating this time off. I, I mean, I should say barring if she'd got COVID or something, but <laughs> yeah, and I she's think taking this time to rest up as bad as it, you know, is to, you know, have shows canceled. You never want to have shows canceled. It could be helpful for, you know, these wrestlers who this is a, you know, a very demanding special uh, schedule, especially at this time of the year with so many shows, as we talked about, I think we had like five shows uh, that were planned. You know, the I guess the question is, you got to make those shows up or make the matches up at some point. And does it end up being more work if you're cramming in a bunch of matches into less shows than it would be if you were just doing them as planned? I could see this being like how the uh, Big Japan Tag League was this past year, or we're still talking about it like six months from now. Well, hopefully not. I think they're going to try. I think they're adding a Corican show, I think, in September. Um, at this point, hopefully they're able to figure it out. I think they did do a good job of sort of spreading some of this out. You know, some of these shows that were canceled only had one or two uh, five-star matches on them. So hopefully they're able to just slide, you know, them to another show and get through it. But But we will see. And of course... <laughs> As we've learned from the past year and a half, uh, there is no discounting that it's possible that more shows could be canceled. <laughs> um, but the current standings uh, the in the Blue Stars block, um, with zero points, Takumi Aroha and Ruaka, of course, Aroha still has not had any matches in, the, in this tournament, which is why she's down at zero points. Konami and Azumi at two points. Utami, Sayakamatani, Unagi Sayaka, and Suri at four points. And at the top of the block, tied at the top of the block, Tom Nakano and Micah with six points. And in the Red Stars block, Himika and Fukigen Death at the bottom with zero. Saki Kashima, Koguma, and Momo Watanabe all tied at two. Natsupoi all by herself at three points. Mina Shirakawa, Mayu Iwatani, and Julia all at four points and leading the block all by herself with five points is Starlight Kid. But as we talked about last time, we've only had one additional show. 
So still a lot of matches to go. Himika is going to get involved in the tournament in the next two weeks, as well as Takumi Aroha. And we will be talking all about those shows in the upcoming portion of this podcast. But now we're going to run through everything else that has happened in the last two weeks of Joshi Wrestling. Um, Seedling had a Corican Hall show on August 19th that was headlined by a Beyond the Sea title match between the champion Ryu Mizunami and Arisa Nakajima. I did see that match. A very weird match for me. Uh, A match I went in with high expectations, two very talented wrestlers, and just something about it didn't click with me. It didn't quite get to where I thought it would. There were some very awkward moments. There was a moment when uh, Arisa did a sort of uh, dive off the top and missed Mizunami. It wasn't clear whether the point was that Mizunami was supposed to have gotten out of the way or it was just a weird thing. Arisa then went back up to the top rope, did the same move again, and still it didn't look quite right. Mizunami sort of kicked her on the way down, but something about it uh, was very strange. So sort of a disappointment, a rare disappointment from uh, Seedling. Usually these main events, especially the title matches, are all very top-notch. Um, but that show is still available on Seedling Line if you want to check it out. A number of other matches on that show, the semi-main Hiroyo Matsumoto, Nanai Takahashi, and Tsukushi Haruka against Ayami Sasamura, Rina Yamashita, and Suzu Suzuki. So really fun to see Suzu in Seedling. Hopefully she will have more appearances there. Oz Academy had their big show, the Mayumi Ozaki uh, 35th anniversary show. As we talked about, Maya Yukihi had vacated the Oz Academy Openweight title. They had a match in the main event uh, with Ozaki Goon Explodes, Mayumi Ozaki, Yumi Oka, Maya Yukihi, and Sayori Ano. And Maya Yukihi ended up winning, so gets back the title that she vacated in order to have this match. So it will be interesting to see uh, what kind of matches she can have there in Oz. Uh, Tokyo Joshi had a show on August 21st. Nothing major happened on that show. Nothing much to report from that. Just a regular house show. Ice Ribbon had some uh, big events over the last two weeks, including Tax Pro Wrestling. Kelly, I know that you watched the Tax Pro Wrestling show. What'd you think of it? I did. It was fun. Uh, probably my favorite part of it was when they were having like some opening discussion part where I assume they were explaining some tax laws and the tax guys brought out like a giant brick of money for all the wrestlers to hold and almost drop because it was very heavy. I thought that was fun. Uh, the, what was it? Not the semi-main, but the third from the top. Uh, Maya Yukihi and uh, Risa Sara took on uh, Buki Hoshi and Suzu Suzuki, and that was a lot of a really good match. I liked that match quite a bit. Uh, I watched this at work because I, I didn't have anything else to do at the time. I was just waiting for FedEx to show up with a billion boxes that were going to rain down on me and give me something to do. But so in between ringing up customers, my coworker would watch with me. And oddly enough, the person that she came away thinking highest of was uh, Anrio because he looks cool. Interesting. And and at work, you know, you are it is an educational show. 
yep. uh, learning about taxes. So you could say that you're maybe doing some on the job training. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to learn about taxes. So, and that show was on YouTube, correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's still there. I don't know if they pull it down or anything, but last I saw it was still up there. So you can go see if that's on YouTube. Hopefully it is and check that out. Also a peas party from uh, August 22nd, uh, two title matches. Tekla retained her WUW title over Totoro Satsuki and Hamaku Hoshi retained the IWJQ title over Rina Shingaki at that show. Uh, Actress Girls, lots of Corican Hall shows, lots of companies having Corican Hall shows. Actress Girls was at Corican Hall on the 13th. Saki retained her title over Hikari Shimizu. And Kakaru Sakaguchi and Miku Aono defeated Mika Ozaki and Tehanma to become the new Actress Girls tag team champions. So a big title change there. Marvelous had a show in Corican Hall on August 20th. Uh, the semi-main Chihiro Hashimoto and May, uh, against Mei Hoshizuki. And the main event, Andres Miyagi and Hibiki versus Mika Iwata and Takumi Aroha. So an interesting lineup of wrestlers there. Andres Miyagi, of course, originally wrestling in Sendai Girls and sort of heading back that way. I think she's officially contracted to, to Gleet. Um, Gleet. So uh, we will see what happens there. Interesting to have her back in the sort of Sendai Girls universe where I have the most fond memories of her. You know, went to stardom, didn't really ever click there and has sort of journeyed around the, I guess I would say the sort of more fringes of Joshi and also just Puro in general. A Wave had a show on August 22nd in Corican Hall. Lots of title matches on that one. Hikari Shimizu and Saki defeated Itsuki Aoki and Rin Katakura to become the Wave Tag Team Champions. Leon retained the Pure J title over Yumi Oka. And the big result... Nagisa Nozaki, the former champion, defeated Sakura Hororoda to regain the Regina DeWave title. Uh, Nozaki, sort of a more controversial figure, but I really enjoyed her title reign uh, from last year. So very excited to have her back as champion in WAVE uh, and to see what she can do there. Kelly, what has been going on with Chaco Pro in the last two weeks? All right. Since we last had a show, they had three shows. Uh, in Chuckle Pro 145, the main event saw Makoto defeat Sayaka. And I, I actually like this match quite a bit. Um, I think Sayaka right now is the most promising of the rookies they have. And it seems like she's, I don't want to say she's finally taking it seriously, but she's, I think, able to just put more time into it. Because there would be long stretches of time where Sayaka would kind of just go away. And now she's been on pretty consistently, and she's got a decent submission game. She's getting pretty good at strikes. So I'm excited to see where she goes from here. Uh, I, I like that one pretty good. Uh, yeah, can't talk. I went uh, three and a quarter on it. Thought it was pretty good. Uh, Choco Pro 146. Akari made her debut in Choco Pro, teaming with uh, Swasti Common against Best Bros. 
and then in the main event of that one, Kari Yoniyama defeated Chie in a match that was a lot less obnoxious than I thought it would be, to be honest. Not a lot of just, like, screaming directly into the camera. That was cool. Uh, and then in Choco Pro 147, it was the Chris Brooks birthday show. Uh, Hagane Shino defeated Kirihara. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't, how do you feel about Kirihara? Like, cause she, every now and then she's got little glimpses of something there, but like just, it never clicks for me. And I think this is a kind of match that she needs to where she needs to go in with a dude that is not afraid to be stiff with people because I think her major problem is because she has like a legitimate uh, kickboxing background, I believe. And it kind of seems like she's afraid she's going to hurt people. So she holds back a lot. And I think that's her major problem as a performer. Yeah. I think that's an issue with a lot of people who sort of transition from the world of uh, combat sports, I guess I'll say is that they come and you're like, Oh, they've got a great uh, sort of background in these other things. And then they come in and they're like, okay, I I can legitimately hurt someone with the things I could do. Now, I'm not saying Kirihara could, you know, that she's could destroy people, but, you know, they come in. And I think they are sometimes extra cautious. Uh, you know, I've seen that in a number of people where they come in and they're like, well, I'm not entirely sure. So, you know, I'll just hold back a little bit. And I think it ends up making things worse. Um you know, and you see people like, you know, I think the people who often transition best from the world of combat sports are people like, you know, I'm thinking of like Shinya Aoki, who yeah. sort of came to DDT and had a more sort of submission base style to them, because then you're not concerned about, oh, I have to go out there and throw kicks and I need to throw them at, you know, a speed in which I'm not hurting anyone else. You can just go out and say, okay you know, this is really just like grappling, uh, which I think is easier to do. I think a lot of it is with Chaco pro wrestlers is, and one thing that I think is a bit, you know, last year, I thought that they were my promotion of the year. I thought they were great because I thought the thing that they did is they really put some of these wrestlers who I was less familiar with, or I was sort of less invested in, put them in these sort of storylines to define who they were. And really I was able to make, you know, connections with them because of these sort of storylines that they were running. And I think now they've sort of transitioned into a more, you know, there's so many shows and I don't fault them for this, but I think they're running much less those sort of character defining storylines you know, they did the one with Lulu Pencil, but Lulu Pencil had sort of been, that was a very long running one. Mm-hmm. So I wish with, with someone like Kiri Hara that they would sort of run these sort of storylines so that I could get connected. Because I think some of these people in Choco Pro, and I don't think this is controversial to say, I think some of these people are, they're not going to be the greatest in-ring workers, you know, ever. We have someone like May Saruga, who is very good and has developed very well. Someone like Balianaki, you know, these are people who are very good and it is possible in, you know, got move Chaco pro to have these very talented wrestlers. You know, Riho was the last one. Obviously Emmy has been very good. 
I mean, Evie runs the whole thing. But I think with someone like Kiri Har, I'm sort of like, she is what she is. And if she gets better, that's great. And if she doesn't, it's sort of like, that's what she is for me yeah. at least. Yeah, she's frustrating to me because it's like every now and then you can see there is something there, but a lot of times she relies on comedy, which even that she's not very good at. <laughs> like I, anytime she teams up with Antonio Honda, that is an immediate skip for me because I do not care at all for their shtick. I also think that probably the two of us are on the more in-ring work emphasis Sort of if you had a scale of all the fans of yeah. Choco Pro, we we probably fall further on the, you know, what is the in-ring work like uh, in terms of some other people who are there for the characters and the stories, which is perfectly, you know, valid and fine. I just think we come from a position of, you know, what is the in-ring work? So I think that probably we have a slightly different position on her than probably a lot of other people yeah, might have, probably. and some of that might be that comedy that connects with some people and doesn't connect with you. Yeah. Uh, and then the main event of that show was Chris Brooks and Masa Takanashi taking on Mei and Chie, and that was a really fun match. Uh, I want four stars on it. Easily, my favorite part of the match was after uh, Brooks and Takanashi trapped Mei under the sink. She busted out and just had a flurry of offense that was hilarious. I can't recommend that match enough. It's really fun. And finally, over the last two weeks, Pure J had also had a show at Corican Hall on August 9th. Akari retained her Princess of Pro Wrestling title. And as you would expect, as she defended it after this point, Leon def- retained the Pure J title over the former champion, Kaori Yonayama. So that is the last two weeks of Joshi coming up. Uh, once again, we have to start with the five star Grand Prix. There are three shows scheduled. Uh, there are three shows scheduled. They all have five star Grand Prix matches on them. There was a show originally scheduled for September 5th um, that was canceled, I believe, because the area they were going to run in is under some sort of emergency lockdown. And so the show was canceled. However, the three shows that are still happening on August 28th, four five-star Grand Prix matches, Mayu Iwatani against Himika, Koguma against Fukigen Death, Tom Nakino against Suri, and Konami versus Ruaka. On August 29th, there are three five-star matches, but also two title matches on this show. Mayu Iwatani against Koguma, Himika versus Fukigen Death, Micah versus the debuting, at least for this tournament, Takumi Aroha. That should be a fun match. And then the two title matches, there's a high-speed title match, Natsupoi against the former champion, Starlight Kid, and a future of stardom title match, Sayaka Unagi against Hanan, which should be an interesting match. And then the last show of the two weeks, on September 4th, Momo Watanabe against Fukigen Death, Utami against Shuri, Takumi Aroha versus Konami, and an Artists of Stardom title match, the champions, the Cosmic Angels, Tom Nakino, Mina Shirakawa, and Unagi Sayaka against the Donado Mundo team of Micah, 
Himika and Natsupoi. So Kelly, what sticks out to you there in terms of matches over the next two weeks in the five-star Grand Prix? Uh, for sure on the 829 show, the high-speed title match between Natsupoi and Starlight Kid, that sounds like that could be a lot of fun. They've had great matches before. I'm excited, so I'm excited for that. Uh, and especially because they were the ones that went to a uh, double countout, I believe. So this is kind of a rematch from that now. Yes, in uh, the in the five star in the yeah. five star Grand Prix, that was uh, yes, that was one of the more recent um, shows. Yeah, they went to the double countout and they each got one point. Yeah, so this is a cool. So it'll be nice to actually have their kind of full match now. Uh, and then on the uh, September fourth show, Utami versus Siri, like that's a rematch of a lot of people's match of the year right now. So that should be awesome. Yeah, some strong cards. I think uh, Aroha debuts with two matches that will probably be very good against Micah and Konami. So really, uh, three strong shows. And I think on all all of these, as long as they you know happen as scheduled, I think it's a great mix of you know four matches. I think is really the perfect for me, at least personally. Four matches, three matches, and then you know a title match is like the perfect length of you know, the number of matches for these sort of shows. I find, you know, matches with eight, as we covered last time, sometimes you can get into a rut of like, okay, I've seen it before you get in, especially two of these shows or all three of the shows actually have a Fukian death match. So that's sort of a, a break. Um, but I think it's much easier to sort of pace these matches on a four match show instead of an eight uh, match show. Yeah, I definitely agree on that. And hopefully, like we were talking about back then, they pace them out better. Uh, Seedling has an upcoming show on September 3rd. Nothing has been announced for that yet. Tokyo Joshi has three upcoming shows, the August 28th, August 29th, and September 3rd. Uh, Nothing announced for those shows. Sendai Girls has a show on the 27th. It's a rescheduled show that was postponed. The main event, Andres Miyagi and Hibiki against Mika Iwata and Eureka Oka. That should be an interesting match with that Andres Miyagi and Hibiki team. Once again, they teamed up at that marvelous Korokin show. Ice Ribbon has a Korokin show coming up. Three big title matches. Hamako Hoshi against Sats. Satsuki Totoro for the IWQ title, Risa Sara and Maya Yukihi, the uh, new champions against Miku Aono and now Ishikawa for the tag titles. And in the main event, the Ice Infinity title is on the line. So the champion, Tsukasa Fujimoto, will take on Akane Fujita. That should be a super fun match, should be very good, and I'm really looking forward to that as well as their big Yokohama show, just to let everyone know, has dropped now on Samurai. So go out and check that one out, their biggest show of the year. And then the only other thing, Wave has a show on September 1st, their usual first of the month show. So that is everything coming up in the next two weeks. Kelly, anything that we didn't cover? Uh, the only thing I can think of was on the DDT Peter Pan show. There was a uh, match that featured Hikari and uh, uh, Maki Ito 
in a exploding barbed wire bat match. So doing a death match. Uh, that was really cool. Uh, there was a good spot with Ito and Hikari both hitting each other with an exploding bat at the same time that made a big old explosion. So check that out on the undercard of DDT Peter Pan. A show that I've seen has been getting pretty good reviews. So one, you know, we're checking out. And if you watch the Tokyo Joshi shows on Russell Universe, you have access to that Peter Pan show on Russell Universe as well. Yeah, I'm through the first half of the show and I really enjoy it so far. I'm probably going to finish it up tonight. Well, that will wrap it up for us. But as always, follow us on Twitter at Audio. Uh, Kelly is now tweeting from that account, so you may see more tweets than you have in the past. Uh, you can also follow us at Tay Mainville, that's me, or Comic Geek Kelly, that's Kelly. Uh, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, and if you get your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and review, and you can donate to the show at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping bomb audio and also go to hellofresh.com slash vow14 and use the code vow14 for up to 14 free meals including free shipping from hellofresh america's number one meal kit for kelly this is taylor and we will see you next time bye